How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Hello, it's David Locke, founder of the Locked On Podcast Network. I welcome you to what is going to be the first of hopefully many Locked On Podcast Network mock drafts. Before we get started, I just wanted to give you a breakdown of how this works. All of the 30 shows are represented. Each host acted as the general manager for his team and made their picks. In addition, trades were negotiated. Some were completed. Some were not. We will have trades in this mock draft as well. The upcoming schedule is that today is picks 1 through 6. Thursday, we will drop 7 through 12. Friday, 13 through 18. Monday, We will drop for you 19 through 23 and then 24 through 30 on Tuesday. Each day, matching the six picks that are released, we are having a Reddit AMA with a Lockdown Podcast Network host at 2 o'clock Eastern, so make sure you enjoy that. And a special thanks to Draft Express, Mike Schmitz, who acts as our expert analysis on each and every pick. So you will hear from Mike Schmitz about every pick. You'll hear the mock draft play out, and then the hosts slash general managers of the Lockdown Podcast Network will give you a breakdown of why they did the pick and a big-picture look at their team. So let's get it started. It's the first-ever Lockdown Podcast Network mock draft. You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello, I'm David Locke, commissioner of the 2017 Locked On Podcast Network Mock Draft. Thank you very much for joining us. We will have picks one through six for you today. And reminder, a Reddit AMA taking place as well at 2 o'clock Eastern with these six hosts slash general managers. Today's draft is brought to you by SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the number one place for you to buy tickets to see any of these great talents that are going to be drafted in our draft coming up or any of these great teams. Because SeatGeek compiles all of the tickets from all around in various places for you in one spot and then gives each and every ticket a ticket score. The fabulous part about that, you don't have to search elsewhere. And if you don't know the arena or you don't know the setting, you can also do it for concerts. You can do it for theater. You can do it for games, Major League Baseball. You can do it for anything. SeatGeek will then tell you which the best ticket deals are. Moreover, right now, go to the SeatGeek, download the app, go to the settings tab, and enter in the promo code LOCKED, and they'll send you a $20 rebate after your first purchase. The Los Angeles, the six teams we'll be choosing today are the Boston Celtics, the Los Angeles Lakers, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Phoenix Suns, the Sacramento Kings, and the Orlando Magic, unless somebody makes a trade. The Boston Celtics are on the board for the first pick of the 2017 Locked On Podcast Network mock draft. Let's head over to the Boston War Room. Jay King, John Corrales will update us on Boston's situation and who they take with the first pick of the draft. Hey there, John Corrales, Jay King here from the Locked On Celtics podcast. Happy to be kicking off this draft special on the Locked On NBA podcast and we are the Eastern Conference finalists, and we got the number one pick. 
So things are going great for us, huh, Jay? <laughs> yep. When we, Absolutely. When we answer the question, what's the dream scenario for your team, I think this is it. So we're picking Markel Fultz. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Now, we got to – we. <laughs> We got to do more than this. Okay, so, but but okay, so our biggest need coming into the draft, obviously, is a star player. We need that superstar in Boston. I know we've got Isaiah Thomas, Al Horford. Isaiah had an All NBA season. Al Horford makes everybody better. That's all great, but we need the guy. We need that special player. So the real dream scenario is that Fultz turns into that special player. So from what you see, is this the type of guy that we can really count on to become that special player someday? Um, I mean, it's it's tough to say whether he'll become a, a superstar. But but w- the more you watch him on tape, the more you realize, like, this is an offensive player without many holes. He's 6'4", he's long arms. He can score inside. He can get to the hoop. He can finish over people. He can create space off the dribble for shots he's a 40 plus percent three-point shooter like there is nothing this guy can't do offensively so i mean it's hard to tell how how a 19 year old will develop and what exactly he will become and how how much of an impact defender he'll he'll be and how he'll develop as an off the ball scorer but from a from a physical standpoint and and from the standpoint of of being a complete offensive player there are very few point guards in i don't know how long that will have the the set of skills that markel fultz has at 19 years old and he just turned 19 years old he's he's a young draft pick after one year at at washington so this kid is he's he's got some special special tools some special talent and I, i think the celtics would have to be absolutely blown away to even consider trading this draft pick he is he is a very legitimate legitimate number one pick. yeah i think we all pointed to this particular draft this was the draft this is a loaded draft and he's the best player in a loaded draft when you're looking at the celtic situations a couple of things that are going on here they're first of all they're good they're not great they're not the Cavs. they're definitely not the warriors but they're good, and they're good enough to be in that next tier down. We've seen that from this past season, and they've got enough players to make that continue. But they also are in a tough salary situation where a lot of guys are going to start getting paid, and they have to make decisions on their roster. So one of the great things about Markel Fultz is he's a guy that can, for the next few years, as he develops and takes what we hope is that third year leap into the beginning of his greatness that he becomes kind of a role player with these, these bigger stars until he kind of overtakes them a few years from now. And then you've got him, Jalen Brown next year's Brooklyn pick, which is probably going to be very good along with some other young guys, the draft and stashes Ante Zizic, Gershon Yabusele, who knows, who knows if Abdel Nader becomes a, a guy that steps up. Marcus Smart still on his rookie deal. All of these guys are young players that could be part of a core that kind of takes that next generation of Celtics into their kind of however many years of greatness that they have. So he becomes both the 
role player now and the star player later. So when we were putting this whole draft thing together, no one approached us for a draft. We were pretty adamant. Like, we're picking this guy, uh, I mean, for a trade. I don't see who could offer the Celtics a trade that makes any sense. Is it the Sixers with the third pick and one of their young guys, Dario Saric? Is it the Kings with 5-10? and Is it... Uh, the magic with one of those guys, I, none of those things just stands out to me as a thing that needs to be done for Boston. I I I think maybe maybe their decision changes a little bit or their stance changes a little bit if they sign Gordon Hayward and and then they might feel like if they do sign Gordon Hayward, they're one player away from competing in the Eastern Conference and trying to go against the Warriors for an NBA championship next season. Uh, otherwise, like Fultz, Fultz is a very talented young guy. <laughs> there's there's not much else that like there, there's not much that could potentially be available that would be intriguing enough to the Celtics to give up a player of this caliber. Like the Celtics, as 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 nice a season as they had, they they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. They're not like particularly close to competing for a championship because the Cavaliers are so good and because the Warriors are so good. So I think Fultz is a guy, and I think they'll be very happy with Fultz. And like you said, uh, the key is, is kind of straddling the line between the now, the present, and the future and, and see what happens with the present. And, and maybe, maybe you can see maybe an, an opening, an opportunity opens up, and, and they can try to capitalize on it to, to reach the Cavaliers level, to reach the Warriors level. Or... You know, you you develop Fultz, you develop Jalen Brown, you develop whoever will be the 2018 pick from Brooklyn, which should be another great lottery pick and another what is expected to be a very good draft. So the the Celtics are in this crazy like once in a generation position where they're building a, a very good team and then they're having another team, the Brooklyn Nets in this case. Rebuild for them on the fly. It's amazing. While they are competing for, you know, Eastern Conference Finals bursts and all of that, and <laughs> it, it is amazing. Like this, this doesn't happen, but no. but they're in, in the the situation where where it is for them. And and right now, I, I think the key is is kind of playing both playing both ways, and 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 leaving all the options open for them, all the directions open, whether it's play for now play for later and and then determining you know once once a few things pan out whether you see what Fultz is like what Brown is like what Isaiah Thompson and Horford can do what what LeBron James maybe he starts to finally taper off a little bit you kind of see the landscape how everything develops and then you can move on from there with whatever direction fits your franchise best so with all that being said there is a point guard who plays for Washington or played for Washington who is tall, he's got an incredible wingspan, can shoot, can create, can dribble, can play the point, can play the two, and with some coaching from Brad Stevens and direction from the veterans on the team, can develop into hopefully a pretty good team defender and can even in small situations play the three eventually. So for all of those things... For all of those reasons and his obvious star potential, the Boston Celtics select Markel Fultz, point guard out of Washington, with the first pick 
in the Locked On NBA Draft. Thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, checking us out. Be sure to check out the Locked On Celtics podcast. For all of your Celtics need, we're here for you all the time throughout a very busy draft season and offseason in which the Celtics are going to be very active. Well, those guys sure are fired up. Should be. Boston's at the center of the hub of everything. They take Markel Fultz with the first pick in his single year at Washington. Average 23 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists. Effective field goal percentage, 54%, 41% from 3. 64195 with a 610 wingspan and an 86 standing reach. And now we welcome in Mike Schmidt's Draft Express expert. Incredible video breakdown strengths and weaknesses at Draft Express. The guy's the best. He joins us now on the Locked On Podcast Network to give us a little extra. He'll give the breakdown at every one of the picks. And we start it with Markel Fultz, Mike. Yeah, I think Fultz is the franchise guy in this draft. To me, he's he's the number one pick. I think he really fits just what teams are looking for in, in kind of a lead guard in today's NBA. Is he a point guard? Is he a shooting guard? Uh, I think he can play both. He has great tools for a lead guard. He's about 6'5 with a 6'10 wingspan. Uh, really a late bloomer. Um, was about 6'1 as a, as a junior in high school playing junior varsity basketball. So his ascension has been remarkable. Um, fluid athlete, really shifty, has a, has a unique body control and athleticism about him that makes him really dynamic both in the open court and in pick and roll. He's one of these all three-level scorers who can make threes off the bounce, get to mid-range, has floaters, can really pass. So there really aren't a lot of holes in Markel Fultz's game. Um, you know, some people have compared him to maybe somewhat like a James Harden. Uh, I think there's maybe a little bit of Brandon Roy there, uh, maybe some a little bit of Dwayne Wade in some ways as well, I think. Um, but to me, he's the guy. There are questions about winning um you know washington was kind of a seller dweller in the pac-12 uh one of the worst teams in the country um his, his defensive focus i think has a long way to go um, a little bit streaky as a shooter also but you know i think if he goes to boston and, and, and gets in that system with brad stevens and those guys uh he's the star of this draft to me Thanks, Mike. Mike will be with us after each pick. We'll get more insight on all 30 first-round picks from Mike throughout the Lockdown Podcast Network mock draft, and you can get more from Mike on Draft Express. All right, Markel Fultz is off the board. Time for number two pick of the draft, the Los Angeles Lakers. The first big decision to be made, Lonzo Ball, Josh Jackson, De'Aaron Fox. What will they do? Let's send it to Los Angeles. Harrison Fagan and Anthony Irwin are the GMs of the Los Angeles Lakers. Let's head to their war room. I'm Anthony Irwin. I am joined by Harrison Fagan. We do this thing on the daily about your, your Los Angeles Lakers every day. Uh, Harrison, what are the Lakers' biggest needs going into the draft? Is everything an answer? Because they need a lot of different things. They were yes. <laughs> uh, they were a really bad shooting team last year, really, really bad at shooting threes. They were a horrendous defensive team, the worst defensive team in the league. And, yeah, I mean, they really need just about everything on at least some level. Now, they do have young talent. They have Brandon Ingram. They have D'Angelo Russell. They have Julius Randle, Larry Nance Jr., Avica Zubats, all these guys. But they definitely need more. And so, But I, I don't think that they're at the point where they have to go, draft based on exactly what they need. I think they have... They little enough so talent that they just have to get the best player available. Yeah, it's it's hard to draft based on need when you need literally everything. Yeah, so I guess every draft pick potentially fulfills a need <laughs> on some level for the Lakers. Yeah, exactly. So I guess 
with that in mind, what would be your dream scenario for the team on draft day? LeBron decides he wants to leave Cleveland and Paul George wants to come over and has so much leverage that the Lakers don't have to No, I draft night, I think the best way this actually plays out, and it's kind of interesting because you're getting so many reviews that are kind of putting Lonzo Ball in a negative light, is the Lakers somehow move back to maybe say the four spot. Uh, maybe get rid of one of the Dang or Mozgov deals and then are still able to take Lonzo Ball at the four spot uh, if Phoenix was to, for some reason, pass on him if they jumped up to the number two spot. Uh, But I think all of the best-case scenarios here involve the Lakers taking Lonzo Ball. I I think he fits too well to pass up on this kid. Uh, He and D'Angelo Russell could be a ton of fun in the backcourt for years to come. Uh. Considering how the draft has played out, what are you considering? Is this a good or bad scenario? So what I just said, the Lakers moving back and hoping for Lonzo, would you be okay with that, or do you just want to keep it simple and take Lonzo second? If it's me, I I would keep it simple. I'm never an advocate of trading back in the NBA draft. I just think that you have a better chance to get a difference maker the further up you are. And especially in the NBA where one player makes so much of a bigger difference than other sports i think staying at number two and making sure that you get the exact guy you want there is value in that because anytime you start trading back it does become more of a crapshoot if you're actually going to get the guy that you want so i would advocate staying back at number two but i guess you kind of answered this but i guess other than that are there any trade possibilities that you're thinking of with this pick it sounded there reports that the lakers are trying to make that the reason this lonzo ball stuff is coming out is because the lakers are trying to make sure that other teams behind them are kind of in the dark about their intentions and think that if they have to trade up they have to deal with the lakers too it's not a guarantee that they take lonzo yeah i think in terms of trade stuff, I think the trade stuff is actually going to involve their 28th pick more likely than it will involve their number two pick. Uh, they own Houston's number 28 pick in this draft. The front office has said that they like the number of, of kids that they have there. Uh, I think they, they would like to bring in somebody who maybe makes a little bit more of an impact immediately. So I, I wouldn't be shocked to find out that they move that number 28 pick to get some more shooting in or if they could include it to move Don, uh, Danger <laughs> Dung, how's that for a Freudian slip uh, a, if they could try to move either Dang or Mozgov's uh, contract along with the 28th pick and maybe another you know kind of borderline prospect that they have then, then I think you can head into next year's free agency and be able to tell Paul George and LeBron James if those reports are actually true Uh, that they have enough room for both of them. (sighs) All right, Harrison, this is the the moment we've all been waiting for. This This is the big question here. Who are you taking? It's Lonzo Ball. I just think with Markel Fultz off the board, Ball, the potential fit in the backcourt with D'Angelo Russell, where both of them can shoot, both of them can handle the ball, both of them can play off ball. I think offensively, it's just too good to pass up. There are going to be defensive questions, but I just, I think you have to go Lonzo. Do you agree? Is that like, what do you feel like he would bring to the team other than that, if anything? Well, first off, in terms of the defense stuff, it's this weird kind of of fallacy in terms of thinking where, People think, okay, he can shoot, therefore he can't play good defense. Like that, I think it was game one of the NBA Finals. Clay Thompson didn't shoot very well, 
but players who he guarded and uh, shots that he contested were like one of 14 that game, right? Or one of 13 that game. And well, I'm not saying that Lonzo Ball could never be a good defender. I just mean at the beginning it's going to be rough. No, I'm not saying you. I'm saying that, it, that I hear I hear these you know these concerns whether it's in my mentions, your mentions, Silver Screens mentions, whatever it is that people are concerned about Lonzo and D'Angelo Russell's defense. I actually think they both have enough size to be able to switch. I think uh, all you're hoping for is that they're mediocre defensively. If they're league average defensively and special offensively, the Lakers take that every day and twice on Sunday. Yeah, right? and Russell's a better defender of point guards than he is of shooting guards anyway. So there is a, be- a chance that they could be there could be some cross-matching there, even if Russell is more of the two on offense, that he'd take the point guard on defense and Lonzo would use that length to take on shooting guards. Yeah, and then and then in terms of how they fit offensively, Lonzo likes to get the ball, get his outlet from his big, and then get the ball up the court. And if you get D'Angelo Russell, if you convince him to sprint up the court consistently, and it's going to be, it's going to take some time to break that habit because he does think like a point guard. You'll see him a lot of times when the Lakers get a rebound, his back will be facing the direction he has to go. So he, he's going to have to train himself to get out and run in transition, get the ball from, from Lonzo or get the ball from whoever it might be, and and get up the court and then Lonzo can shoot from like the forum right so that helps everybody on the Lakers it helps Randall operate in space it helps Russell operate in space when he has p- his pick and roll uh the fit's very exciting there especially offensively if they all figure it out then the Lakers could be a ton of fun to watch uh moving forward that does it though in terms of I just I just want to add that before we go I'm really excited to see what oversized injury prone player the Sixers take. <laughs> I'm I'm really it, it's really going to be too bad when Josh Jackson misses his entire first season. <clears throat> All right, that does it though. We we picked after Boston uh John and Jay over there selected Markel Fultz. We went with Lonzo Ball. We'll see how everything plays out moving forward. So LeVar Ball and Big Baller get their choice. Lonzo Ball is a Laker after Harrison Fagan and Anthony Irwin of the ever-popular Locked on Lakers make their pick. Let's find out more about Lonzo Ball, the newest Laker, as we bring Mike Schmitz of Draft Express back in. Lonzo, really, really unique player. Um, Different than Fultz in a lot of ways in that he's not your conventional, you know, modern lead guard type. He's not the most experienced, uh, you know, pick-and-roll scorer. Uh, I think he's going to figure it out as a pick-and-roll passer, just not something UCLA did a ton of. But uh, really unique 6'6", tremendous instincts on both ends of the floor. Uh, not one of these pounded point guards, not a guy who, you know, eats the clock and, and kind of freezes guy, guys out. He's constantly moving the ball. He can spot shoot. Um, he can play on or off the ball. Uh, you know, defensively, he's not all that physical. Um, he's a little bit light and somewhat casual at times. Um, you know, I think there are some questions about his ability to kind of score out of ball screens, get to his jump shot because it is a little bit unorthodox. Um, but to me, ball is the second best prospect in this draft. He impacts the game in so many different ways. He turned that UCLA program around uh, almost single-handedly. So uh, to me, he's a no-brainer at number two. Only concerns I've heard of him are, one, competitiveness, that he might have tapped out against Kentucky and Arizona when they got into his shorts. And then I still wonder, in your film study, his shot's unique. When the game gets fast and that shooting window is smaller, do you have any worries there? 
I don't with the competitiveness. I don't, he can be a little bit aloof, I think at times, but overall, I think he's a really competitive kid. He's a ballsy kid. He made a ton of big shots throughout the year for UCLA. You know, I live in LA, so I was lucky enough to see him, um, you know, at least 15 times at Pauley Pavilion. Um, and to me, he's a killer. He just kind of has a, a quiet, you know, casual uh, demeanor about him, but he's a winner in every way as a shooter. Uh, it doesn't worry me all that much. You know, I think getting to a shot off the dribble um, is going to be somewhat of a challenge early in his career, but I really like that he can shoot off the catch. Um, he has great balance, uh, good feet underneath him, can even like run off screens a little bit. So uh, I think, you know, with the way he plays and the ball constantly moving, he's ready to shoot when it comes back to him, and he's really instinctual playing off the closeout. So you know, maybe some questions about getting to that shot off the dribble, but overall, uh, I'm not all that concerned. Picks one through six today, live AMAs each day at 2 o'clock Eastern with the hosts of the picks. We'll have a five-part NBA mock draft. Two picks are in. The third pick is the Philadelphia 76ers. Keith Pompey of Philly News is the general manager and the host of Locked On Sixers. Let's head to Philadelphia. Welcome to Locked On 76ers Draft Edition. I am your host, Keith Pompey. You know, heading into the draft, I would say that the Sixers' biggest needs are, and they have a lot of them, but the biggest need would be finding someone who can shoot the ball. They need a shooter. Um, outside of that, I think they need someone who can defend. They need an athletic wing. They need, you know, a, um, to find a perimeter player who can basically blend in well with Joel Embiid, the center, and Ben Simmons, the point guard. You know, they need a, a defensive-minded guy who can play an up-tempo style of game, but they also need a shooter. They need someone who will be able to knock down shots for them. Now, if, if, if in re- regards to a, a dream scenario, a dream scenario, I think the Sixers are in a dream scenario. And the reason why I say that is, you know, they have the third pick. You know, they're sitting here at number three. You know, Markel Fox uh, goes number one to Boston. Uh, uh, Lonzo Ball goes number two to the Los Angeles Lakers. And the Sixers have, you know, five guys to pick from for this spot. So right here, it's like, you know, they have the point guards. They have the shooting guards. They have the wings. And, you know, it's one of these things where, you know, this is probably a tough decision for them to make just because they, they're sitting in a pretty good spot. Now, it would, would have been best if Boston didn't uh, draft Markel Folks and, and the Lakers decided we're going to pass on them too. I mean, you know, that would be the greatest thing for this team, but it didn't happen. So, you know, right now they have Josh Jackson, they have Jason Tatum there, they have um, De'Aaron Fox, they have, Markel, um, they have uh, uh, Malik Monk, you know, they have all these guys you know, there for their picking at the third um, pick. Now, there were some trade possibilities for the 76ers. You know, the Sixers, you know, they could have um, traded uh, traded back um, with the Sacramento Kings. The Kings would have given them the fifth and the tenth pick, whereas the, the Sixers would have swapped the third pick. Now, in order of doing that, the Sixers could have, you know, killed two birds with one stone. They could have you know, got a point guard at number 10, um, or and, and they could have added, um, you know, a shooting guard um, at number five. The shooting guard would have been Malik Monk, 
Or, you know what, they could have decided to, like, let's say, you know, if 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 Fox uh, goes number three to Sacramento, you know, we'll take the, the lesser of the two or the one left on the board, assuming if, if uh, Josh Jackson or Jason Tatum are still available, whoever's available at that one, you know, we can take that at five and then get a point guard at number 10. Now, the person that I decided to take, and I know that the Sixers really need a shooter, but this person to me is a guy you can't pass up, and that's going to be Josh Jackson. Again, Malik Monk is a, a, a great fit for the Sixers, but at, at Sixers, but not at number three, you know. And Josh Jackson is the type of guy who is who can become a superstar in this league. And the reason why he fits in well with the Sixers is because of their. Uh, you know their 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 training staff. I mean, and their uh, their their shot doctor, so to speak. You know, here's a team. Here's a team that really needs an athletic person. You know, they're a team that that needs to get another superstar, someone a superstar in the making. I believe that he can become the shooter that they need down the road. But right now. His athleticism, his defense, everything that he brings to the game is too hard to pass up. That's why I am taking Josh Jackson out of Kansas. He is a phenomenal player, and he's going to be a phenomenal one. An excited Keith Pompey takes Josh Jackson out of Kansas with a third pick. He averaged 16 points, seven rebounds, three assists. Effective field goal percentage was 55%, 38% shooting from three. Just 56% from the free throw line, 6'8", 203 was his measurements with a 6'10 wingspan. Here's Mike Schmitz of Draft Express with more on the third pick of the Locked On Podcast Network mock draft, Josh Jackson. Yeah, Josh, really, really tough, competitive kid, very versatile, uh, played really, you know, one through four in a lot of ways at Kansas, um, athletic, has positional size, is kind of a 2-3 at 6-8. Not overly long, uh, kind of a skinny frame. Um, you know, I really like that he can pass. I think that's probably his most underrated skill. To me, he's kind of a high-end, you know, role-playing starter. Maybe he's never – no, that sounds kind of bad, but, I mean, not your first or second option as a scorer, but a guy who does pretty much everything else. Um, he's going to defend multiple positions. He can play with or without the ball. Uh, he's active, and he has a killer instinct about him. Uh, the question with him is is really the jump shot. You know, he shot it fairly well um, at Kansas, but is a little bit erratic, doesn't shoot it well from the line, and he's kind of an emotional guy in general. You know, he's taken the anger management classes. He had some off-the-court trouble. Um, so I think, you know, it can go one of two ways. If he's able to kind of channel that um, in a positive way in, in kind of the Draymond Green type of mentality, uh, then I think it can be a big asset. But he does kind of teeter that line of, you know, intense and crazy at times. His shot chart is such that on the right side from three, he's really good. And on the left side, he's terrible. Have you noticed anything over the years about players like that where they can figure it all out? Uh, I don't worry too much about that, you know, with um, the sample size of the college season. I mean, watching him in high school, he's always been a guy who's made shots like even though he's not the most pure shooter and people worry about the free throw percentage, I think it's a little bit different for him um, in that it's more of a mental thing from the line. And he's a guy who's really a jump shooter. So when you go to the line and you're standstill, 
um, and, and you're not all that confident in that part of your game already, uh, I think that's what leads to those results. But at the high school level, like, this is a guy who's always made shots, always made shots on the move, off the dribble, off the catch. So he's going to make shots. It's just going to be in a streaky, uh, streaky fashion, I think. Josh Jackson, a traditional wing two-way forward. Nice breakdown by Mike Schmitz. All right, trade rumors are floating around the Locked On podcast world right now. Teams are talking about possible trades. Trades can be made. Haven't heard anything yet in the top six coming down, but possibilities later in our mock drafts. As we wait for the envelope from the Phoenix Suns, let's review. Celtics took Markel Fultz. Lakers took Lonzo Ball. 76ers, Josh Jackson. Suns, Kings, and Magic still on the board for today's one through six mock draft. Let's head now to Phoenix. Kellen Olson is the host of Locked on Suns and the general manager. Let's get his take on where the Suns are and what they'll do with the fourth pick of the NBA draft. Hello there. I'm Kellen Olson with Locked on Suns here to break down the 2017 NBA draft for the Phoenix Suns. Their biggest need going into the draft was really getting that option 1A or 1B to go next to Devin Booker. Looked like it was going to be a point guard. Either Markel Fultz or Lonzo Ball. Remember the Suns? Second best lottery odds going into the NBA draft lottery, but then they were the only team to fall more than one spot. They go from two to four. So now instead of looking at a situation where you take Markel Fultz, take Lonzo Ball, you got your partner in crime for Devin Booker to have. You got Dragon Bender, Marquise Chris. That's one of the best young cores in basketball right there. You trade Eric Bledsoe. Bledsoe, 27 years old, on a very affordable deal right now for the next two years and coming off a career year, really entering his prime right now, and was healthy. His trade value is never going to be higher. This would have been the time to move him, complete the rebuild, and move on. But now, they're in limbo again, just like they have been really for the past two or three years. So that was the dream scenario for the team, just staying it too, just not moving down. But of course, they had to be the only team to move down more than one spot. Considering how the draft played out, is this a good or bad scenario for the team? It's a bad scenario. Like I just mentioned, they were in a really great spot to complete their rebuild. And by complete, I mean really just start it by finishing it. And they would have had this really great young group to build around Markel Fultz or Alonzo Ball. But instead, they're looking at some options at number four. And it's not really a great scenario for the team, especially if Kansas wing Josh Jackson goes number three, who obviously fits in very, very well because of his defensive perimeter outlook. You look for someone on the Suns to really be a big-time stopper defensively. They really haven't had anyone on this team like that since Sean Marion. And if you look back, through their history, they really haven't had many signature defensive players. That's what they would look for from a guy like Josh Jackson, but he could go number three to Philly. And even falling to three, you still wind up with either Lonzo Ball or Josh Jackson. Probably not Markel Fultz going to be there, obviously, but you wind up with one of those two guys. That's still a fine scenario, but now you're at four. All three of those guys could be off the board. Who do you take? Do you take that point guard of the future still, but with a little bit more risk in mind with De'Aaron Fox or Dennis Smith? Do you go wing? Do you go Jason Tatum, Jonathan Isaac? It's not really clear who is the best fit, and it's a debate Suns fans have been having now for the past month or so, and it's going to continue all the way up to the draft. Any trade possibilities? Absolutely. We just mentioned Eric Bledsoe, and I think that if they find the right deal, Ryan McDonough has always shown that if there's a deal to be made and he likes it, he's going to do it. He's been very active in his time as Suns general manager, and if they don't, want another year of Eric Bledsoe if they want to trade him when his trade value is at the highest. If they want to take, say, a wing at number four, they like Jason Tatum, they like Isaac, or Josh Jackson is on the board, and they want to get that point guard as well. Maybe they trade with the Dallas Mavericks at number nine. 
Maybe it's some other team like the Orlando Magic, the Sacramento Kings, who want an Eric Bledsoe. Uh, we explored those deals, of course, didn't come to those deals in this exercise, but that's something that the Suns will certainly look into to get someone like Dennis Smith or Frank Nielakina out of France, perhaps, who fits very well as a defense-first option next to Devin Booker and provide the spacing with his shooting as well. We are taking Jonathan Isaac, a forward out of Florida State University. This might be a surprise to some, and let me explain it, and hopefully you'll understand a little bit better by the end. Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris, these are two guys, especially Chris in his rookie year, really improved to show that they can switch onto smaller guards, stick with them, get low, slide, stay with them, but they can also protect the rim. Chris, especially, you've seen all the YouTube highlights, I'm sure, of his explosive dunks and blocks. Bender is a guy that I see personally as a long-term five and someone that they can really grow at the center position. And with that in mind, I think if you look at Jonathan Isaac and say that he can play some small forward, then you've got three guys who are just menaces defensively and really present a look that no other team could really see or deal with. I don't think we would really have anything like that for past precedents. Guys that are 6'10", 6'11", ultra-athletic, long, can switch on everything, be the alley-oop target on one end, and then switch onto a point guard on the other end, just that kind of mobility. Of course, offensively is where the question marks lie. All three of those guys are going to have to shoot the ball at an average three-point mark. It looks like Bender and Chris should get there, Isaac as well, but all it takes is one of those guys not being a three good three-point shooter and the offense kind of dies. And you're looking at one of those guys as well to become that reliable second or third option offensively. Devin Booker can't do everything. I think Marquise Chris is the person Suns fans are looking at to be that player. So that's how we see Jonathan Isaac. Gives you a little bit more versatility to TJ Warren. If you draft someone like Jason Tatum, for example, you're getting, at the end of the day, an offensive-minded small forward because, remember, with Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris at power forward, this team is dealing with restricted free agency of Alex Lynn, Allen Williams. They already have Tyson Chandler. They're not going to be moving anyone to center anytime soon. So you're not going to get that same flexibility for Jason Tatum where people believe he is best as a small ball four. He wouldn't be playing much small ball four here. Isaac fits in a little bit better, gives you that defense first at small forward as opposed to TJ Warren scoring, who the team still highly values is in a contract year. You just get something different. I think you really create an identity of this team, kind of shift towards that idea of really positionless basketball and just play those three long guys and have teams try to figure out how to attack them. And with someone like Devin Booker, who is such an offensive-minded player and his defense has really lagged behind his offense in his first two years in the league, I think you look at that defensive identity for those three guys at the big position, I think you've really got something for the Phoenix Suns, which is what we had in mind with the pick. Jonathan Isaac with the fourth pick out of Florida State. That's a bit of a surprise. A little bit of a curveball, but a good explanation from Kellen Olsen. Isaac averaged just 12 points, eight rebounds, and an assist at Florida State. Very tall at 6'11", just 205. Hit 35% of his threes, 78% of his free throws. Let's get more from Mike Schmitz of Draft Express on our fourth pick, Jonathan Isaac. Yeah, I think he's one of the more intriguing prospects in this draft um, just because of his defensive versatility. I think he's a guy who can really guard almost one through four and maybe even one through five and, you know, just kind of how the NBA is going with, you know, we just saw Kevin Durant is playing center, LeBron is playing center. Um, So his defensive versatility, I think, is what makes him so intriguing. Uh, Really a late bloomer. He was a 6'5", 6'6", wing, um, you know, the early part of his high school career. So he shot up. Uh, now about 6'11", 
Um, offensively, he's fairly versatile in that he can make a spot three. He can put it down a little bit. Um, he can play a little bit of pick and roll. Um, but I, I just think there's a little bit of somewhat of fool's gold with him in terms of his upside. Um, he's the type of guy where if you just kind of pop in his possessions and see, oh, we can do all these different things. Um, I just think that throughout the year at Florida State, there were some times when, you know, he kind of stood in the corner. He's not the most naturally aggressive guy. So I'm not sure he's ever going to be, you know, the star that people want him to be. Um, but with the way the league is going and his versatility, I think on both ends of the floor, you know, he's going to be an intriguing piece, but maybe not a star. So with that surprise from the Phoenix Suns in the fourth pick, Sacramento has to be just ecstatic about where things sit for them. Fultz, Ball, Jackson, Isaac off the board means De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk, Dennis Smith, Jason Tatum, all still on the board at number five for the Sacramento Kings. Jason Ross is the host of Locked on Kings, the general manager for our mock draft, and we send it over to Jason to see what the Kings will do as the balls finally fall their direction. The Sacramento Kings find themselves in a very rare spot. They're relevant in June. And the reason for their relevancy is because they have 20% of the top 10 picks in the NBA draft, picking 5, picking 10. And on NBA draft lottery night, they finally, for the second time in franchise history, got some good luck, partially, right? They were supposed to select 8 and 10. They had moved up into the NBA lottery's top three, but because of a pick swap with Philadelphia, they move back to five. But still, just math, five is better than eight. Five and ten puts them in a good spot to be trade players, to keep the pick, to add to their already young roster once they decided to make the move from DeMarcus Cousins. So the draft will be paramount for the Sacramento Kings, as it is really for every team. But at five and at ten, they can address the team's biggest need at least with one spot, if not two, if they elect to. But the two biggest areas of need for the Sacramento Kings now are point guard and small forward. I'm going to start with the small forwards first. A year ago, the Kings had Rudy Gay to start the season, Matt Barnes and Omri Caspi. All three are gone. Rudy still has a chance to resign. Likelihood of that is pretty small. Omri's on another team. Matt Barnes is on another team as well. So the Kings need a small forward, but I think first and foremost, the biggest position of need is point guard. The league is filled with great point guards, and the Kings had two Decent point guards, Darren Collison and Ty Lawson, both are free agents and can still be in play if the Kings don't get what they want at 5 and possibly at 10. So, for me, the best scenario for this team is for things to fall into place where there isn't a need to trade at 5 or 10 or a panic move to do something outlandish, kind of continue to follow the plan. They're a team that has a ton of cap money in the offseason. They've got picks 5, 10, and even 34. They are a young roster, and it's time to build and build the right way. And so the Sacramento Kings, to me, have good scenarios here and maybe a couple of bad scenarios. I'll paint one bad scenario out there in which, in my mind, there's four key targets for the Sacramento Kings and maybe a fifth, but since they're picking five, you wish they had a solid five. But Lonzo Ball, Markel Fultz, no particular order here. Also... Josh Jackson and De'Aaron Fox seem to be their top four targets. They pick fifth. Worst case scenario for me is those four go. I think then they would look at a guy like Jonathan Isaac as a little bit of a reach, maybe at five, potentially, maybe, but to hit that small forward spot with a high ceiling. 
I think if they're going to look at trading anything, it might be 10 and it might be to move back. I know there have been rumors about the Kings trading 5 and 10 to move up. I don't think they will do that. I just don't think they'll do that. So with that said, the way this has played out in the Locked on NBA mock draft, the Kings are very happy with what they see in front of them, knowing that Markel Fultz went number one and then followed by Lonzo Ball, Josh Jackson, and then Phoenix taking Jonathan Isaac. So there he is, a guy that's worked out for the Kings, a guy that has expressed a desire to come to the Kings, which is rare, and a guy that fits a need. Talent, need, desire, all of it. It's the sweet spot for the Sacramento Kings. Getting to five made it happen, and by doing that in the locked-on NBA mock draft, certainly the Sacramento Kings would take point guard De'Aaron Fox out of Kentucky. Now, why they do it? Obviously, one, the need. What they like are his, is his ability to defend, his quickness, his ball handling. They like that he's left-handed. They love his motor. He plays hard. He plays with passion. And there's certainly some concerns. Was not a great shooter in college. They love his technique and his form when they worked him out. They don't see a lot of flaws there. They know they could work with the jump shot. So all in all, if the mock draft from Locked on NBA plays out to this way, the Sacramento Kings would be absolutely thrilled to get their hands on De'Aaron Fox and hope that he is the point guard of the next decade for the Sacramento Kings. Fox wowed everybody with his NCAA tournament performance. He's the fifth pick to Jason Ross and the Sacramento Kings. He averaged 17 points, four rebounds, five assists last year at Kentucky. Effective field goal percentage was just 49.7% and just 24.6% from three. He did hit 74% of his free throws. The lightning quick point guard is 6'3", 171. Wingspan 6'7", standing reach 8'4". Let's get more from Draft Express extraordinaire, our draft expert. Breakdown, we head over to Mike Schmidt. Yeah, De'Aaron Fox, lightning quick, um, plays both ends of the floor, competitive kid. Uh, You know, I think probably the most functionally athletic guy in this draft, just in terms of, you know, quickness, change of speeds, uh, twitch, explosiveness at the rim. Um, on the lighter side, but has some positional size, uh, fearless kid in that, you know, he's wiry strong, but he, he, he gets to the line a ton. Uh, you know, the biggest question with him is really his jump shot. Um, I, I think he's actually a better shooter than he showed at Kentucky, you know, at the high school level, obviously, uh, level competition is much lower, but he was never a non-shooter. Uh, you know, I think he knocked down 10 threes and scored 50 points in, in one high school game. So, I mean, he's a guy who can get going. Um, it's just a matter of doing it with consistency. Uh, and then also learning the point guard position, I think, for him. You know, he was kind of more of a combo uh, earlier on in his career. I think he has good instincts, but just kind of knowing how to manage the game um, and really run the show and be a little bit less turnover prone. But dynamic, dynamic athlete who has a high upside if he can figure out that jumper. The jumper thing is it's confusing because when I watch him, the mechanics look good. It's all smooth. It concerns me that he just might not have touch, right? You can't teach touch. Yeah, I think to, you know, his credit, um, I think he has really good touch on floaters. You know, he has right hand, he has left hand. Uh, Maybe he's not, you know, the most natural guy in terms of overall touch when you back him up a little bit. I think inside 15 feet, you know, 17, 18 feet, he gets better rotation. Like I said, the floater thing is encouraging. Um, I'm interested to see how he looks when, when you back him up. You know, that's kind of been a, a question for me with him as well is like, 
the more you back him up, the less rotation I've noticed he gets on his jumper. Um, so that's something to watch for, I think. But he's going to have to build kind of from, from inside out, be, get really good at that, you know, 17, 18-foot range, and then continue to extend. Well, you can see it there. Vivek popping the champagne. The Kings in pure celebration. Jason Ross getting a contract extension as general manager of the Sacramento Kings. All right, let's get to our final pick of the day. Sixth pick of the draft. Remember, these guys are all hosting an AMA as well as we will every day at 2 o'clock Eastern time. About the picks tomorrow. Pick 7 through 12 coming your direction. All right, the sixth pick of the draft is the Orlando Magic. Philip Rossman Reich is their general manager. And let's go to Orlando and hear what Philip has planned for the Orlando Magic in the sixth pick. Hello, everyone. This is Philip Rossman Reich, the host of Locked On Magic and the editor over at OrlandoMagicDaily.com coming with coming for you with the sixth pick. Many of you know the sixth the six pick is going to be a, certainly an interesting pick here for the Magic. Uh, this is a team that is in complete transition right now, or not maybe complete transition, but in a transition right now. They've, of course, fired their general manager, Rob Hennigan. They've hired a president of basketball operations in Jeff Weltman. They brought in a general manager in John Hammond, uh, the former general manager of the Milwaukee Bucks. They've hired as an assistant general manager, Pete D'Alessandro, the former general manager of the Sacramento Kings. Uh, And so this is now all of a sudden a very experienced and interesting front office group. And they come to the roster at a very interesting time, in my opinion. The team has missed the playoffs for the last five years, which is the longest playoff drought in Orlando Magic history. It's a short history, 28 seasons, but still pretty significant. And fans here in Orlando are getting very, very restless. They want the playoffs, and I think that was actually one of the things that caused a problem last year when the Magic went 29-53. and They invested a lot in veterans, they got rid of some of their young players, they tried to cash in some chips, and they ended up worse. 29 wins was a very bad season, and now the Magic are trying to pick up the pieces. And that's where this draft goes. This is a deep draft. And as, as I've told my listeners on, on Locked on Magic, as well as my readers on OrlandoMagicDaily.com, this is the kind of draft where you can get a star at six. And so uh, I don't think there's necessarily a dream scenario. I just think the Magic have to get this pick right. I think generally the player that they're going to pick at six is a guy they would have picked at two in 2013 when they drafted Victor Oladipo. They would have picked four in 2014 when they drafted Aaron Gordon. And they would have picked five at five when they drafted Mario Ozoni in 2015. Essentially, I think the Magic will get the best player of this rebuild, uh, of this rebuild in this draft. And it's been a five-year rebuild. They just haven't had really the opportunity to get high-level talent. How this mock draft is played out is kind of how I expect the real draft to play out for the Magic. I, I just, I don't think that there are bad, op- there are really bad options for them. I mean, I think that if the Magic sit tight and kind of see how things play out, they will get a player with some skill, and they'll be very happy with that player. I've, I've told so many people who are a little bit down on the draft or on the whole draft process that this is the kind of, again, this is the kind of draft where I think the Magic can get a quality player at six without having to do very much. The options in front of them are going to be very good. And, and when it comes 
to this draft, this mock draft and the way it's played out, it's played out very differently than I think a lot of other mock drafts. The three options available that, that I would pick from, I'm very pleased with. Between Dennis Smith, Malik Monk, and Jason Tatum, I'm confident that I will get a player who will not only potentially become a star, but contribute pretty immediately. And I think that's another thing the Magic are looking for too. They're not necessarily looking to take a guy that's going to take two or three years to develop into a star. They're going to want someone that can compete for rookie of the year or compete for the team right now because I think the playoffs are still very much the goal with the group they have. And so with the options available, I think the Magic are in a good place. Before I let you know who the Magic are taking, I'll quickly discuss whether there are any trade possibilities. The answer is no. The Magic need an influx of talent. And with the way things have gone the last five years, unless they can get rid of one of their big salaries, and unless they can get a guarantee from that star that he's willing to commit to Orlando, I think it would cost too much to get good value in return for the sixth overall pick. I think that the sixth pick in this draft for the Magic is essentially untouchable. Now, Orlando does have three other picks in this draft, at 25, 33, and 35, Those picks are a little bit more movable, and I'll talk a little bit more about the 25th pick uh, later on in the mock draft. But six is fine for the Magic. Six is a good good spot for the Magic, and and I think that they're going to keep this pick and use it and make sure they get it right. And so having said that, with the sixth pick in the 2017 Locked On NBA mock draft, the Orlando Magic select Dennis Smith Jr. of the NC State Wolfpack. I picked Dennis Smith because I think that he fits the modern NBA game and really what the NBA game is looking for in point guards a lot more than the other options available. I like Malik Monk. I believe he's the best shooter in this draft, but I think his ceiling is much lower than either him or Tatum's. Um, I don't know if he can become that superstar. I worry a little bit about his length as a shooting guard, especially on the defensive end. Jason Tatum, I really like him and I really like his potential and it's a steal to get him at six, but at the same time, I think that his style of play, unless he truly becomes a star, unless he truly becomes a star, his style of play does not really fit the NBA game because he relies a lot more on mid-range jumpers. He needs the ball in his hands to to be really effective on offense until that three-point shot comes around. Smith, I think, fits the mold for an NBA point guard a lot better. I think that He'll step in and and change this Magic team immediately. They need someone that defenses have to respect with the ball in his hand as a shooter, which I think Smith does, and can get to the basket at will. He's going to need to continue to improve his three-point shooting, continue to improve his his playmaking, although he he had a healthy number of assists with the NC State Wolfpack in in their struggle of a season. Uh, And he's going to have to uh, continue to improve his defense. It is a little bit concerning that NC State struggled so much uh, last year, but I don't really put that on him. He was a freshman. It's hard for freshmen to lead, and so I, I don't think that that's going to be a huge problem for him moving forward. I really like Dennis Smith. I really like the way he projects up. I think he's going to be a very solid contributor in this league. I think he has all-star potential, and so I think with the sixth pick, considering the Magic's need at point guard, considering the Magic's need for some scoring and some creation off the dribble, and one-on-one especially, I think Smith is the absolute right pick for the Orlando Magic this year at the sixth overall pick. That's going to do it for me. I'll be back in about 19 picks or so uh, as the Orlando Magic hold the 25th pick in the in the NBA in the NBA draft. 
Uh, so I'll be back here for, for that part of the mock draft for now. We'll see what happens uh, as, as we make deals here. I, I think as I'm recording this, I'm actually on the clock. So we'll see exactly what happens. And I'll be back to tell you, to tell you a little bit more about the magic strategy there. Until then, I'll send it back to David. Well, that certainly probably means the end of Alfred Keaton in Orlando, at least at that role under the new management. Let's find out more about Dennis Smith, the NC State point guard who last year averaged 18 points, five rebounds, and six assists. Effective field goal percentage, 52%. 36% from three. He's six foot three, 195. Let's send it back over to our draft expert from Draft Express, Mike Schmitz, for more on Dennis Smith. Yeah, a really explosive, powerful, uh, kind of a downhill driver. Once he gets his shoulders square to the rim, he's really tough to stop. Um, it's funny, you know, he and De'Aaron Fox were really similar level shooters uh, coming out of high school. And he, you know, obviously shot it a lot better this year, I think around 35%. So, you know, he projects as one of these three-level ball screen scorer types. Um, not the most natural pick-and-roll facilitator. I think has still has some room to grow as an overall point guard, he's kind of a guy who pounds it a little bit. Um, you know, the biggest questions for him are really uh, just on the defensive end and in terms of, um, you know, overall effort. The situation at NC State was not great. Um, you know, I think there were some, some jealousy factors with different teammates and guys didn't get along and the staff was fired midway through the season, but then they were kept on throughout the end of the year. Uh, and I think he was, you know, somewhat of a part of that just in terms of, the effort not always being there and kind of seeing NC State as a uh, just a quick pit stop before the NBA. So um, has some upside in terms of his ball screen play, ability to score at all three levels. But the question is, is he going to be a guy who impacts winning consistently? How concerned are you about him? It sounds like you're a little concerned. Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, I went out there this year, saw practice, saw a game. Um, and, you know, every guy is different, but just, you know, had his headphones in, was, was really kind of to himself, not a lot of camaraderie with other guys on the floor. Um, you know, understandable given the way the season was going, but uh, I know he's a worker and I don't think he's a bad kid by any means. Um, I just wonder about him getting other guys involved at a high level, him defending at a high level, and then he's not a perfect shooter either. I think that remains to be seen when you back him up. So, uh, you know, he there's a lot to like about him, but uh, I think there's a chance that maybe he doesn't maximize his potential. So six picks are in the books. Markel Fultz goes one. Lonzo Ball, two to the Lakers. Josh Jackson out of Kansas to the Philadelphia 76ers. Kellen Olsen sends us a little bit of a surprise with the Phoenix Suns taking Jonathan Isaac with the fourth pick. The Kings feeling good about things at that point. Take De'Aaron Fox from Kentucky, and Orlando ends it with Dennis Smith. Before we wrap up, let's head over to Josh Lloyd. He's the host of Locked on Fantasy Basketball. He'll give us an analysis of the top six picks and the fantasy impact of the six picks on the NBA. Josh, take it away. Hey guys, this is Josh Lloyd, the host of Locked on Fantasy Basketball. Here to give my takes on this Locked on mock draft that we're doing the first six picks obviously just in this episode so my take on those picks from a real life perspective and how those guys can also translate to fantasy for next season and into the future we'll start with pick one which seems like an absolute no-brainer and the Celtics guys picked Markel Fultz that's exactly what I would have done I think that's exactly what pretty much everyone will do any sort of smoke screens coming out saying that they're looking at uh working out other guys or they are working out other guys or it's not 100% I don't believe any of that 
I don't think the Celtics trade this pick for either Jimmy Butler or Paul George. So this is exactly how I see things panning out. For fantasy, there's two different ways to look at what Markel Fultz for next season. Don't see him being a draftable player because he has to play behind Isaiah Thomas. There's also Avery Bradley. There is Marcus Smart there as well. And in order for him to get top 100 value, he would need 30 plus minutes. He'd also need to improve upon his free throw percentage that we saw in college. But his game does look quite good from a fantasy point of view. But if he's not getting 30 minutes, much like we saw with Jalen Brown, he's not putting up those required stats. Now, he will be drafted in every single fantasy league. I am almost 100% sure of that. It won't be by me because I just can't see that unless weird stuff goes down in this offseason. Thomas traded, Smart traded, someone gets injured, you know, hip, Isaiah Thomas's hip doesn't recover. Then I can't see Fultz having a big enough role or playing enough minutes to be able to impact fantasy leagues in the way that some people would hope, like Carl uh, Anthony Towns did two seasons ago as the number one pick. As guys like that, I just don't see that happening. And historically, with Towns sort of taken out of the picture and guys like uh, Dame Lillard, Chris Paul, you know, fantasy rookies don't have big impacts. They don't have top 50 seasons. They don't have top 20 seasons. Majority of the time, the best guy sits in that 60 to uh, 100 range, or maybe not even that high, sometimes 90 to 150 in that sort of range. And Fultz, I don't think, will be the number one rookie next season. But if I'm talking long-term, dynasty-type leagues, he's the guy I take. He's got the most talent. His game is fantasy-friendly. And when he takes over and becomes the starter, playing 33, 34 minutes a game, the steals, the blocks, the assists, the rebounds, the points, the threes, and hopefully some increased efficiency, it puts him in line to be a top 25, top 20 fantasy player three or four years down the track. But for this year, not for me. Pick two, the guys over at Locked On Lakers, Harrison and Anthony select Lonzo Ball. It seems like the no-brainer pick. I'm not 100% in on Lonzo. I don't think anyone is 100% in on Lonzo, but at that pick, that's the pick that I would have made. I still believe that D'Angelo Russell is a very good player and can be a, a player who who starts on a, on a decent team. Obviously, that's not the case at the moment in terms of this team not being a decent team, but he's put up really, really good numbers. And him and Lonzo working together... I think, it, I think it works. So any talk of the, they're drafting Lonzo and trading D'Angelo, I don't think that works. These two guys can play together. Lonzo fits into this situation in a, in a great environment for him. Um, in terms of minutes played for fantasy, he is almost odds-on to me to be the number one fantasy rookie next season. He should be getting the 30-plus minutes. His game translates pretty well to fantasy and should push him to be a top 100 player. And he should be the first rookie off the board in fantasy drafts. He shouldn't be in dynasty leagues, or probably a two or three guy there for me, but his ability to get assists, his defensive prowess as well with his ability to block some shots as a point guard, which can be can be really useful. We see it with John Wall, obviously, getting you up close to one block a game. Your ball could maybe get to that, maybe not as high as Fultz, but he can block some shots, get some steals. Hopefully, he can be efficient. I think expecting him to shoot 71% on two-pointers like he did in college is an unrealistic expectation, but hopefully we get decent field goal percentage. And I think his free throws can improve. Weirdly, Fultz and, and Ball were both horrible free throws. Well, not horrible, but they weren't good free throw shooters in college. And that does decrease their fantasy value somewhat. But I can see Ball pretty comfortably being a top 100 player next season, not a top 50 guy, probably not a top 60 guy, but you may be threatening the top 75 as a fantasy player for next season who has potentially top 50 upside throughout his career. The thing that will hold him back from going from a 50 guy to a 20 guy, 
is his usage, is the lack of points, is the lack of scoring, is the fact that yeah he played through college with such a low usage rate, and I don't really see that changing too much in LA. But I like the pick. I think it's the, the right pick to, to make, and he will probably be the number one fantasy option next season from for rookies. At pick three, the Sixers selected in this mock draft. Josh Jackson, this is not the pick I would have made. I would have selected Dennis Smith with this selection, but... Uh, the Locked On Sixers guys selected Josh, Josh Jackson with this pick out of Kansas as a small forward. Now, part of the reason why I'm not as big on Jackson in this spot is I really like Robert Covington for this team, and I think that he can do things that they want Jackson to do, be a really good wing defender. Covington was the number one small forward by ESPN's defensive real plus minus this entire season. Number one, so higher than Kawhi. For just for that one stat. Now, I'm not saying that that's everything, but that's how good he was. He plays good defense, gets steals, turnovers, and hits threes. Now, Jackson did take his shooting up a little bit at the end of the season, but I don't buy him as a consistent deep threat. I like his passing, but with with Simmons passing out of the front court, how much is Jackson going to be used as a ball handler? I don't think that much, and his game doesn't translate from just his pure raw college numbers fantastically into fantasy. He's a guy that, you know, based on, and I do all these translations for all these players, just on a flat college number or international Euro number straight into uh, NBA numbers without taking team context into it. He's a player that struggles to get to the top 150, even in 30 minutes a game. The steal numbers and block numbers are nice, but the efficiency, including the free throws, could be a real concern considering how poorly he shot those last season. I don't think his usage is going to be very high. He's not going to hit high threes. He's not a... a, a crazy good rebound or anything like that. And he's not a player that's you know, like Blake Griffin getting five and a half assists per game as a forward, which is what well, Griffin got five last season, but he's not going to be that sort of a guy. So if this is the way the draft pans out, it's not the way that I would have gone, but I can't criticize it because these guys between say pick two and eight, they're all really, really close. And it does come down to, I guess, personal philosophy and what you see in these guys. So any of these selections, if I disagree with them, it doesn't mean that they're they're wrong or anything like that. Just with Jackson, I don't see it being a great fantasy option. No doubt he would get drafted in fantasy leagues, and I think almost no doubt he will disappoint and he will struggle to be a top 150 fantasy guy, at least for his rookie year. His upside is probably top 100, and I don't think he's got top 50 upside for fantasy just with the way his game is. That's not saying anything about how he is as a real-life player, but in terms of if you're looking in a dynasty league, I don't believe that he is ever going to become this elite top 25, top 20, you know, game-changing fantasy asset. Anything can happen because we've seen guys like Kyle Lowry become that player pretty much out of nowhere, but I'm not sure that I'm in on Josh Jackson being able to do that. At pick four, the Locked On Suns guys went with Jonathan Isaac with Jackson off the board. In my scenario, Jackson would have been available had I picked Smith at pick three, but that's not the case here. They've taken Isaac. They had this, the choice between Isaac, Fox, Smith, Tatum. In this scenario, I probably would have taken Tatum myself because I see Isaac more as a 4-5, very similar to Dragon Bender, very similar to Marquise Chris in their positional versatility, whereas Tatum, I think, can play more at the three, and they do need wing depth with really only TJ Warren in that position, who I'm not sure is a starting caliber player on a good team. But Isaac, from a fantasy point of view, looks good in terms of these top eight guys or so. He, he projects as the second best guy marginally behind Lonzo Ball because of his ability to, to 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 shoot the free throws pretty well, which is something a lot of these guys can't do. He can be a triple one sort of a player, one three, one steal, one block per game if he got it up to 
uh, 30 minutes a game. He's a pretty decent rebounder as well. And and those numbers maybe add in 10, 11 points if he gets those minutes. Now, if he falls to the Suns here, getting him 30 minutes a game might be a struggle just with them hopefully looking to develop a guy like Bender with Chris there in that position as well. Do they bring Alan Williams back? Do they bring Alex Len back? There are a fair few guys in that front court that expecting Isaac to get 30 minutes a game would be a fool's errand and therefore taking him out of a lot of consideration for fantasy value for next season. He falls to a team where he slots straight into a 32-minute role, then bang. He's a he's a top 100 guy, in my opinion, if he gets to 32 minutes. So if he fell later to one of those teams that really needs a player in that spot, then it could work out. But for the Suns, with Chris Bender, potentially Len and Big Source there as well, I'm just not sure he would get enough minutes for the future. But Dynasty Leagues, I mean, on him being you know, maybe even a top four guy, top three guy in this class, just for dynasty value or dynasty fantasy value. Pick five, the Locked On Kings guys, Jason selected De'Aaron Fox out of Kentucky. We've heard the infatuation from Sacramento towards Fox. We've heard of almost the unprecedented infatuation from Fox towards Sacramento. So it seems like a match made in heaven with these guys... Yeah, with the guys off the ball here, I've got no problem picking Fox. I think they have to choose a point guard, so it's either Fox or Smith. I do believe in Smith quite a bit, so I probably would have taken Dennis Smith at that pick, but you can't argue with Fox at that selection. They've got both Ty Lawson and Darren Collison out of contract. They have no point guards on the roster currently. So Fox should be able to move in, start from day one, and you would assume play 30-ish minutes. Now, Dave Yeager's not the biggest fan of rookies. I think that's fair to say. We barely saw your just Papianis this season, part of that because he was bad, and we didn't see Scal Labissiere until the last part of the season. But with very few options in that in that area, Fox could be seeing 30 minutes a night and starting from the very start of the season. The problem is, with his um, college numbers... They just don't look great from a fantasy point of view. In fact, if we're taking the straight projections, which again is not team dependent, I'm not not adjusting these for teams at this point, which I'll do later on, he barely sneaks himself inside the top 250 in 30 minutes a game. The field goal percentage, the lack of threes, the, the steal numbers are good, but they're not, not Chris Paul. He's not getting two steals a game. We're talking about maybe one steal a game. He's not blocking shots. He's not hitting threes. He's not scoring. The assist numbers are fine, and maybe they get a bump up, and that pushes him to the top 170 or something like that. And unlike guys, say, like a, a Fultz or a Josh Jackson, I'd be more inclined to take a flyer on a player like Fox in a fantasy league with my last two picks and say, well, what if he blows me away? What if he comes out there and can shoot or can score? or can drive, and starts dishing seven assists a game. Then he becomes super valuable. So he does have that upside in this scenario where he falls to Sacramento. So I do like the pick, and he probably, out of these five guys that have gone so far, he's probably going to be, would be my second fantasy rookie off the board. For Dynasty Leagues, I'm not totally in on him. Um, he's got a lot of work to do, but I still would think he'd be a top five fantasy pick in Dynasty Leagues. The last pick, Philip. For the Orlando Magic selected Dennis Smith out of NC State, my man, I would have picked him at number three. So I like this pick for for the Orlando Magic. Now, I'm a believer in Alfred Payton. I think that what we saw from him at the end of the season was very encouraging. He got his efficiency way up. His free throws improved. He was just dishing out triple-doubles in March like they're going out of fashion, which seems to be a consistent pattern for him in March, one of those players that for some reason him and Nikola Mirotic when the uh, calendar hits March, they just uh, turn on the afterburners. I thought he did enough. But the problem is, 
is in Orlando, his biggest supporters, Rob Hennigan, are gone. So what does the new front office, what does John Hammond think of Alfred Payton? And that's what we don't know. So bringing Smith in there as someone who can play on offense, and their offense was horrendous for most of last season, it's a smart pick just to see how this goes. And you know, I could see some lineups with Peyton and Smith playing together working, not well, but that, that it could happen at times. So I like this selection of the, of Dennis Smith for the Magic, mainly because I believe in his, his upside as, as probably the number two upside player on this board behind Markel Fultz, and I wouldn't want to let him slide any further. Um, I wouldn't have had an issue if, if the uh, Magic had cho- chosen a guy like Malik Monk. They need three-point shooting. Taken Jason Tatum. They need offense. But Smith on the board is the way that I would have gone. Now, for fantasy value, if he comes in and is automatically anointed as the starting point guard, then yeah, he's a standard league player. But with Peyton already in place, I think assuming Dennis Smith gets 34 minutes a night would be a poor assumption. And he's one of those guys that you might want to have a crack at with one of your later picks, but I really don't see the top 100 upside for him next season. His efficiency could be a concern. I like the scoring. I like the threes. I like the steals and the assist numbers. All that stuff could very easily come for Dennis Smith, but the minutes is what's going to be a real crunch on him. And and maybe it happens in March. They start going to him 33 a night or something along those lines. But early on, I think he will struggle to find himself inside the top 170, and that uh, pretty much rules him out of fantasy drafts for that season. But for Dynasty, you know, I've just said it a million times. I love his upside, so I do really think that he's going to have tremendous value and does have top 50 upside at some point in his career. All right, that's it for this podcast. I'll be back on the rest of the Locked On Mocked Locked on Mock Draft shows to discuss my thoughts on the pick. I hope you've enjoyed the show. See ya. Thank you very much to Josh. Day one of the Locked On Podcast Network mock draft is in the book. Picks one through six. No trades were made, but we have heavy rumors floating about picks seven through 12 that deals may be done. Dallas is on the phone. I know Detroit's on the phone a great deal right now trying to make deals. We'll see if those happen. Tomorrow we post picks seven through 12. Reminder, each day a Reddit AMA with the hosts of the picks, and we'll be giving you Six picks a day for the next five days on the Locked On Podcast Network here on Locked On NBA. When the big stories happen, you want the local take, the understanding on the ground in the city where it's taking place, and that's what the Locked On Podcast Network gives you your team every day. Again, the Celtics take Markel Foltz, Lakers, Lonzo Ball, Josh Jackson, three to the Sixers, Jonathan Isaac, four to the Suns, De'Aaron Fox, five to the Kings, and the Magic, six, Dennis Smith. The Timberwolves are on the board next when we come to you tomorrow from for the Locked On NBA Part 2, Picks 7 through 12.